huge fan of scenic routes. It's like the 17 will get you to Flagstaff fast, right? You know, what, two and a half hours, three hours? If you're robbed, 30 minutes. Um, uh, Tori, could you get me a bottle of water, please? Oh, never mind. I have my handy-dandy Emmaus Road cup. Get yours for $7. Um, But I'm a huge fan of uh, scenic routes. 17 is uh, probably my least favorite freeway freeway in Arizona. Um, It'll get you up there fast. But have you ever gone to flag on 89A? Yeah, that's a that's a, a, a little two-lane highway. You can get on 89 here um, just outside of Wickenburg and go up the scenic way. So, it, you know, the 17 will get you up, up there fast. That's nice. But if you take 89A, you'll have your breath taken away more than once, and you'll get up there, uh, and, and you will – you'll have an experience. It's like um, – Route 66, did you guys see the movie Cars? Yeah? They just opened up the new Cars place uh, at Disneyland, by the way. I saw a commercial for that this morning. Um, but there's all these, there's, you know, that, that little um, animated film uh, showcased the fact that there's all these amazing, cool, uh, out-of-the-way places that if you only travel on the 10 or the 40 or the 17, you'll never get to discover uh, some of them are not worth discovering. Um, if you're ever in Holbrook, just pass through. <laughs> that is a horrible place. And do not eat at the Route 66 Cafe, uh, where they serve Nick raw chicken. And then, then accused us of trying to steal from them because we refused to pay for that. They wanted to recook it. And the woman served him in greasy sweats. That was not worth discovering at all. But there's a hole-in-the-wall place called Hog Haven uh, down in um, Globe. And Globe's like an old burned-out mining town down there. Um, and this place, Hog Haven, is a dump. I mean, really, it's like you walk into it and you're like, seriously? I mean, the owner wears overalls and has a beard. But they make the best pork tenderloin sandwich on the planet. They get that butchered fresh and then they tenderize it oh my gosh it's unreal and then they bread it and deep fry it and serve it to you like on a this roll and it's hanging off it's just heaven it's unbelievable we found that by accident so i become a fan of the scenic routes um i think emmaus road i think our journey and and who we are as a community is a lot like a scenic route. You think about, with all these churches in the valley, you know, you think, why would you guys start a new church? Why start one? Don't we have enough already? That's a legit question. You know, when, when we were considering this four years ago, you know, we, we obviously saw that there was a need. Some of the things that stuck out to us at the time were the fact that um, Generation Xers and the Millennial Generations, which is basically everybody in this room, um, these, these groups of people were largely unchurched. In other words, they didn't grow up in church, and they didn't have a lot of church experience. Um, and and they, there was a, uh, many of the existing churches just doesn't, they didn't know how to 
deal with that and how to minister um, to people who didn't come up within their traditions very well. They just weren't doing it. We're closing churches, thousands, thousands of churches uh, every month. There's one stat that says by the year 2035, 50% of the churches in America will be gone. And so, yeah, there's a huge need to start uh, new communities of faith. Um, new communities that know how to be new North American missionaries and be in this culture and know how to deal with it. So, th- so those were some of the, the things we faced and some of the things we considered. But the real reason, and it sounds cliche, but the real reason is that God invited us to. That God called us to do this as a community to start this church. How do we know that? Well, he's in the Bible. I mean, uh, our, our time in the Bible, our time in prayer, the circumstances that we faced, um, the church, all of these, God communicated through all of these, the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church, uh, to speak very loudly and clearly to us, start this church. Um, and so we did. We you know, many of us, uh, it was, we made huge adjustments. We had to talk about facing crises of faith. Um, we had huge crises of faith. Can we do this? Is, I mean, will we survive? Will we be able to make it? We made all kinds of adjustments to join God in what he was doing. All kinds of adjustments. And, I mean, it, it was our first summer, if you remember, 2008. Right as the economy was just imploding. And our, our funding dried up. I mean, most of a huge portion just evaporated. I mean, if you were to, if, if people were taking bets on whether we would be here today, um, they would probably have been fools to bet that we would succeed. But then there's God. Then there's God. And we can look back now and see we can look back in retrospect and see that God really does, has done things only he could do um, through us, in us, among us over these past four years. You know, the proof's in the pudding, they say, right? I can look back across four years and point there and there and there and there and there God showed up and he showed off. There God came, up, came through again. There God opened a new door. Um, it's been amazing. So sometimes I get asked, why the name Emmaus Road, though? So I get it. Yeah, we need to start churches. But why Emmaus Road? Because that's weird. I mean, you should have chose something vanilla and bland. You know, but we're not a very vanilla group of people anyways. Um, You know, first answer is because it's cool. Second is because, and the real reason is, in the story of these two basically anonymous disciples on the day of the resurrection who were burned out and headed to Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. In that story, we see see some core values to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a church. What it means to be a church. If you've got your Bible, I want to read through that passage one more time in Luke 24. Starting at verse 13. And this is the day of the resurrection. And this blows my mind that Jesus, on the day he raised from the dead, 
when he could have been doing all kinds of things, he chose to walk seven miles with a couple of guys who seemed to be burned out and, and giving up, heading out of town. So we pick up in verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? You don't know the things that have happened, uh, happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish are you? How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost, uh, the day is almost over. And so he went in, went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, may our eyes be open. May we see you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there's three things that are very important to us that we can see in this, this, um, this text. The first one is authenticity. When I read that story, when I look into it, I see a, a, a depth of authenticity that I'm afraid sometimes is missing from a lot of church experience. What do I mean by that? Well, on this day, I mean the most important day of human history, Jesus takes a seven-mile walk with two disciples that we basically don't know anything really about. So, I mean, Jesus, if it was me, I probably would have just, I would have materialized myself in 
Pilate's, you know, the, the Roman uh, the, the Roman governor in charge um, who crucified me, I would have shown up like in his bedroom. Or maybe standing behind him when he closed, you know, the mirror to the medicine cabinet. He closed and there I am. Ah! That would have been me. I mean, Jesus could have appeared in Rome. He could have been walking with heads of state, um, incredibly wealthy and influential people. Um, you know, he could have been scaring people. I mean, there was a million things he could have been doing. But he chose to take a seven-mile walk with a couple of guys that we just don't know. Because After this point, they kind of drop. What do we know about these guys? That's awesome. He didn't merely impress them with a non-threatening religious show. Many things he could have done to show off and impress them that day, but what did he do? He walked with them. I don't know why they couldn't recognize him. Maybe God made it so they couldn't. You know, maybe Jesus shape-shifted into another, like, form. Who knows? But maybe it has something to do with their, these guys, with their own mindset. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they couldn't even see him. And there Jesus is on a dusty path, Walking seven miles with these guys. I love that. I love the fact that Jesus walked with these men. He did life with them. I mean, Jesus could have teleported himself anywhere he wanted. And there he is, one step after another. On this journey. There's this depth of reality in who Jesus is. It's this, how he enters into real life with us. Authenticity. I think in the past four years, I think many of us, we've learned, we've learned from this. We've learned to do life together. That's become something that is a non-negotiable core value for us. We do life together. We are that kind of a community. We are not the kind of community where you can, you know, slip in and slip out anonymously. You know, after we do life together. We laugh together. We cry together. We celebrate together. We mourn together. We've done this. In fact, um, Chris, let's take a look. Uh, Chris has made a, um, another slideshow for us. Now would be a good time to take a look at that. So, um, Tori, if you would hit the lights, um, here's a few minutes about what it's looked like as we've done life together over the past few years. I think we've learned something about authenticity because well, we've done life together and we're, um, uh, so many of us, we've seen each other at our best and we've seen each other at our not so best and we know how to do that. We know how to love one another and be together even when we're annoying or in bad moods. Or, and we know how to, we just, I think about what you guys have been through with me, how you've walked with me from the changes that I've had to make in the way that I, I minister to great spiritual awakenings that happen in my life and in many of yours. 
uh, to the miracles that we've seen, dealing with the recession and uh, the pain and struggle of just making it, um, being betrayed by people that I trusted, um, not not in our church, but uh, in other areas. Stress, gosh, these four years, if you want to talk about stress, I've been crazy. Times of failure, um, the death of my own father from cancer, um, when I was robbed. <laughs> um, you guys have done life with me and, um, and loved me through all this, good, bad, and otherwise, and thank you for that. Thank you. You have uh, ministered to me in incredible ways. We see Christianity in the story. Jesus opened up the scriptures to these two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. They learned, they discovered Jesus and the scriptures came alive to them in new ways on the journey, not in a sterile classroom. As I look back on our own journey, you know, I, I'm the preacher, but um, I think as you have prayed for me and as I've prayed, I can look and see how God has opened the scriptures to us across this journey. In fact, let's take a, take a look at some of our major, some of the major um, things that we've covered in our time together. Chris, if you want to, this was the first sermon series we did four years ago, June. And then we went on from here to vintage Christianity, a world-changing faith where we went through the book of Acts. And then Olympic spirituality, because it was uh, at the Olympics that year. We talked about spiritual disciplines. Ah, our grand opening. Um, this is an awesome title. How to follow Jesus without becoming a narrow-minded, judgmental, self-righteous hypocrite. That was an awesome title. Um, next, went into a series called The Ultimate Thriller. Um, this is the series where God really just moved powerfully um, in my life and among us. We changed directions right here. And, th- and you can see that in the next slide because our next sermon series was The Tao of Jesus. means the way of Jesus where we learn to pray the Psalms and enter into the kind of life that Jesus lived. Um, enter, practice the kinds of things he practiced. We spent a lot of time in the Psalms. We met in homes during this during this period in small groups, just praying, learning to pray, learning how to be with God, learning how to practice silence and solitude. Um, that was such an enriching time. It was un, just amazing. And we went from there, I think it was Christmas, and after Christmas we did a series, uh, Jesus and the Material Girl, um, and where we talked, about, um, we talked about finances in that one and how... Um, that, that spiritual disciplines extend into the way that we handle the blessings that God pours into our lives. Um, and I think many of us started becoming financial partners and contributors uh, to, to what we're doing during that period right there. Because when we first started, I think only two people um, uh, regularly practiced giving and tithing. Um, and, and uh, you know, over the, over the years, I've seen that just grow, and that's been amazing. And then uh, from there, I believe, we did a series where we went through the book of John um, entitled Vintage Jesus. Um, And that was leading up to Easter that first year. And then from there, oh, one of my favorite. This was actually a project for seminary. Um, Good Vibrations, Making the Good Times Last. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit, I think, and uh, talked about how 
how um, God wants to replace our negative emotions and feelings and our negative patterns of thinking. He wants to replace them with the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love and joy and peace and gentleness, kindness and self-control and all that good stuff. And uh, talked about as he does that work in us, life is better. Life really is better when we're put together, when we allow God to put us together on the inside. And then from there, uh, we did a series called Hear Him, How to Hear from God. I wish we could go back and review that because basically what you would have found out is that was experiencing God <laughs> um, uh, all the way back then. I got really into space during that time. Um, and the next, oh, one of my favorite, by far favorite sermon series, Rugged Faith, Discovering the Spiritual Journey. Um, I set up a tent <laughs> in, uh, in our worship space at Independence and we Use the Colorado River from its beginning and its watershed in the Rockies all the way out to the Gulf of uh, Mexico. It's the, not the Gulf of Mexico, the uh, Sea of Cortez. And we looked at the, the terrain along that journey and talked about how our life is a spiritual journey and, and how it, we, we le- learned some lessons from that. That was just, that was cool. Um, the next one. Ah, yes. Michael Jackson died when I was on vacation. So we talked about what Jesus may have said to Michael Jackson. And people came that I hadn't seen in a long time just to hear that sermon because I put it out on Facebook. Uh, The next, we did a series called Kingdom Come, Living God's Mission. Um, Talked about, that's where we started understanding about sowing the seeds of the kingdom of God and how God um, does his kingdom stuff and how we join him and what he's doing. Um, Then we went, oh, we did Renovation of the Heart somewhere in here. Um, I don't remember exactly where that was, but that was an intense time of learning Uh, we learned that dallas willard is an incredible thinker and writer and christian he is a boring lecturer um but uh we 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 plowed through that and learned some incredible things about the way that god wants to order our inner life and how that changes everything for us um from there uh we went into the organic revolution um this is where our new mission statement began to take place or uh take shape about planting the seeds of the kingdom of God, growing disciples who grow disciples and gathering disciples into worshiping communities. And then, ah, did a series called In-Laws and Outlaws, a study of biblical families in conflict. Um, this, this series um, changed the course of our church again because that day um, I was teaching on Abraham uh, who was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I looked out into the crowd and I saw so many disturbed faces and I had a revelation. This is the first time several people are hearing about Abraham. What a jerk I am for introducing him at this point. So I was like, I got to do something about that. Um, and so uh, after Christmas, we started a series simply entitled Torah. Ancient Guidance for a Contemporary Journey. We went through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy over about a course of a year. That was a major undertaking. Um, And that was just awesome. And then from there, we just wanted to keep it rolling. Oh, yeah, we did um, a a couple of things in there. Um, The All for God performers did a dramedy called Life. And we had no budget for that. Um, But it was still awesome. Um, And that was part of us. I think when we use our art... And we contribute, it's, it, we're, we're reading the Bible together. We're revealing, God is revealing himself as we contribute and as we share our gifts. And that was happening during that time. Um, we did Financial Peace University, which was also another major undertaking. I think that was like 13 weeks 
learning about finances, which is awesome because God doesn't want us to be enslaved financially. And so um, we did that. Ah, we did the highway to health. <laughs> um, they were just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And there's another dramedy. And uh, that kicked off a uh, whole teaching series as well. Um, then, ah, just wanted to keep it rolling. So we went into Joshua and went through the book of Joshua, 11 secrets, uh, or into the promised land, 11 secrets from Joshua for living the dream. Don't think we got through all 11. Um, I remember because uh, Jeremiah was upset about that. He is like, we got through seven? It's a good number. He's like, I need to know the rest of the secrets, Steve. Sorry. Stay tuned. Um, oh, we did this series, Knocking on Heaven's Door, How to Pray Right in All the Wrong Ways. I think that was that pink song came out around then. So raise your glass if you are wrong in all the right ways. So, yeah, so that was going on. It was summertime. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but we went through the, oh, yeah, this one. Uh, it's getting hot in here, the naked truth about conflict resolution. That was awesome. That was a good series. I mean, how many of you guys who were there for that really benefited from that one? That was good. Yeah, we did conflict, uh, dealing with conflict, because uh, that's a reality. And then from there, ah, we move into our new space. We did four things Jesus would say to a vampire. How to have a life that doesn't suck. Boy, am I glad the overseer didn't come today. Um, then... We did Seek First the Kingdom. That's a boring title. Then another vintage one, Vintage Christmas, went through Advent. We've celebrated Advent together four times. Um, then uh, we did Experiencing God, another awesome game changer for us. We did the Way of the Cross experience, which I thought was one of the most incredible times of us reading Scripture together and listening to Scripture together. Um, that was just incredibly powerful. Um, and then, what else do we do? Oh, finan- uh, financial life preserver. Um, we just finished that. But you can see, as you look back, um, we've covered a lot of ground. You know, when we first started the church, I would tell, tell people, well, um, the people of our church don't, don't have a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge yet. I can't say that anymore. I don't really say that anymore. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. And as I look at just how God shaped our journey and how those words came at the right times, you know, um, and how we listened to God together, it was just incredible. Um, You know, we've learned a lot by being on this journey. You know, I think it's the journey that really helped us to understand what Jesus was talking about in the first place. And that's stuff you can't learn just in a classroom. You got to live it. The Christian faith is, a, is, a, is an enfleshed, lived out faith. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, an apprentice to him. And I think we've learned that, and that's non-negotiable for us. That's non-negotiable. The last thing I see is community in the story. As they practice hospitality, as Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks, that's when the lights came on. 
Once again, Jesus is there in their lives. They're sharing and doing life together. And Jesus breaks the bread and they catch a glimpse of him. And as fast as they see him, he vanishes. Why did he do that? Because it was cool. And who knows why else he did. I mean, that's just a weird thing to do. I mean, it's cool. I would do it if I could. I'd vanish right now. Show up behind you. I think it says something to, uh, to us, though. As we do life together and practice hospitality, we catch glimpses of what Jesus really looks like. What does Jesus really look like? I've come to know more about what Jesus looks like in the past four years than any other time in my life. And not just because I've been in seminary. Seminary has been wonderful. But it's, it's been in doing life and listening to the word together with you. I've seen what he looks like. I've come to know what he's like in a way that I've never known before. Thinking sharing our lives together, sharing our food together, sharing our homes, sharing our stories, sharing our triumphs, our tragedies. As we've done that, Jesus has become visible among us. You know, of course I mean that metaphorically, but not exactly. Over this journey, I've caught glimpses of Jesus. Because he's here, he's among us, he's in us, he's with us. And when I wasn't busy being frustrated and complaining about whatever obstacle was in my way at a particular time, when I slowed down enough to look at our church, when I slowed down enough to look at our community, I saw Jesus. I saw him at work among us. And then he vanishes in the chaos and the hectic schedules and the obstacles and the stuff we deal with until I slow down again and take a look. If you want to see what Jesus is like, look around. Watch how he is living his life among us, through us, in us. Just look around. It's awesome. I think as we enter into our fifth year, and this is a critical year for us, we have, to, we have some goals we have to meet. But I think it's important that we go forward as a church holding on to the best of who we are. I think it's best to recommit ourselves to these values of authenticity, true Christianity, authentic community. As we continue to grow, we can't lose that because that's who we are. That's who Jesus has shaped us to be. That's what it means to be authentic Christian community. And it's, I think about Andrea. She's getting baptized today, which is awesome. 
She's been on this journey with us for, what, nine months, I think? Nine months. And if you don't know her, if you don't know her story, she, um, uh, she was Mormon. And it's been, um, I don't know how long time in the Mormon church. And she had, um, you know, music positions and uh, responsibilities there. And um, God had other plans for her. And her, her path changed. She's been journeying with us for a long time. And Andrea is not the kind of person that, uh, she's a thinker. Uh, she doesn't like being complimented in public either, but I ask permission. Uh, but she, she thinks about things. She doesn't make uh, choices on the whim emotionally. And, you know, we had several conversations over the course of our journey, you know, where obviously she's wrestling with the Christian faith and what she had always been taught and believed, and that's just a real struggle when all of a sudden you realize that something you've believed for so long might not be true. And she wrestled through that and with that, and um, she wrote me uh, several weeks ago during Experiencing God um, that as she was praying and, and seeking God and just doing life with us, one night in particular, when a few of us gathered for Experiencing God here, um, as we were, I believe, I don't remember what we were doing, but she tells the story that the Holy Spirit just powerfully moved in her heart and convinced her in that moment that she needed to make a, 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 a commitment to Christ in a way that she had never done before. Her being baptized today is a huge, huge deal. Some people get baptized on a whim, and they don't really understand it. She understands what it means. She understands the commitment of that. She understands what it really is about. And she said the Holy Spirit moved on her so powerfully as she was just among us, listening to what we said. She wasn't responding to one of my powerful sermons. Jesus showed up as we did life together. Along the way, suddenly, mysteriously, yet powerfully, and the whole direction of her life shifted. And you're going to see a monumental moment in her life this afternoon. That's awesome. That's awesome. Are we perfect? Gosh, no. Is Jesus here? Oh, yeah. As we move forward, I think it's important to recommit ourselves to life, doing life together, doing life with others. It's important we recommit ourselves to being authentic apprentices, followers, disciples of Jesus. We need to do the stuff. We need to be a people that continue to be a people that do the stuff. We need to teach others to do the stuff. We need to recommit ourselves to true communion with Christ and with one another. I think in this, we will recognize Jesus more and more and more. And Jesus will make himself known among us and through us. As we do that. We may not get where we're going fast. 
the speed of our growth might not impress people. You know, but people that are looking for that, they like taking the 17 to Flagstaff. We'll get where we're going. And along this way, we'll continue to have story after story after story after story of how Jesus showed up and took our breath away. As we saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle, as we experience him show up and show off, as we continue to see him answer prayer, as he continues to just reveal himself among us. May we have eyes that see and ears that hear what he's doing among us. And may we treasure that and realize how rare and special this community is. This doesn't happen everywhere. This has ruined your life for the rest of your life. You are permanently ruined in such an awesome way. And so am I. And I thank you for that. Thank you so much. Lord, as we uh, wrap up today, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for Andrea and her story. Thank you for every single story in here. You're, you're amazing. Thank you that I get to be a part of this. I got to experience this. Thank you. You are I just, wow. Lord, help us to share this with the world. Help us to join you in ways that we haven't yet in what you're doing, in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.